Good morning, Big Rapids. This is Big Rapids Buzz with Chris Long and Bruce Borkovich. Morning. Good morning. You know, every time you do that, it reminds me of Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> I keep waiting for you to do that, but uh, that's that's not what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, but Today's a little different. You got uh, extra people in the room. We've we've never really had more than one other person in the room. We haven't. You know, we look for these opportunities to get interesting guests, and uh, this is going to be fantastic. Uh, we have a longtime friend and colleague of mine, uh, Tony Leonard. And Tony, rather than me uh, go on about you, just uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you, Chris. And as we all know, I could speak for ages about myself, but I know we're <laughs> under some time constraints. Uh, I'm Tony Leonard. I'm a detective with the Grand Rapids Police Department. Uh, you and I met many moons ago when I was working for the Mount Pleasant Police Department. I was there for just under seven years, and I've been with Grand Rapids for a few more than that years, uh, since March of 2005. Wow. Uh, I had a few different um, specialized units in Mount Pleasant, and I've had the opportunity to work in some specialized units in Grand Rapids as well. Uh, I was a patrol officer. I worked night shift. I worked day shift. Uh, I was a community officer, um, currently a detective, as I said, at also had the opportunity to work on the homeless outreach team. And that's what we're really going to focus on. Yep, that's boilerplate of why we're here. Yeah, and you have a partner next to you, and uh, she's got a pretty uh, interesting place in all this. Chrissy, tell everyone who you are and a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. So my name is Chrissy Rakowskis. I am a clinical social worker. And prior to working alongside with GRPD, I was a clinical social worker for community mental health also known as Network 180 in Kent County, Michigan. So I have 20 years of clinical experience working with individuals ranging of all ages, um, working with mental health, substance use, developmental disabilities, all kinds of um, issues in the past, working with people, and yeah. Boy, would you get along well with our local uh, Emily Bongard. She reminds me a lot of you, and she's just wonderful. I greatly appreciate you guys driving all the way up from Grand Rapids and uh, coming to talk with us. Glad uh, to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. This is a big deal, and this is a, uh, a topic of great interest in this community. Even though we're a smaller community, we're still dealing with an influx of uh, homeless. And, Which uh, is getting worse every single... It does seem. I moved here seven years ago, as everybody knows, and I always keep saying all the time. Uh, but we didn't have this problem as we do now. Yeah, and we're going to talk about, you know, why that may be. We've got some pretty experienced people here. So um, why don't you, uh, let's start with Tony and tell us about uh, the unit at Grand Rapids Police Department. We're going to say GRPD a lot tonight, folks. Yep. That's Grand Rapids Police Department. Tell us about that unit in your experience or, or, or your assignment. We're gonna, we'll dig deeper into your experience, but your assignment there. So it was a hybrid team, and it was comprised of police officers, firefighters from GRFD, the fire department of Grand Rapids. Um, but then we also had clinicians from Network 180, and we also had substance abuse coaches to aid in our outreach um, in, our, in our times going out and meeting with people, sometimes on busy street corners, sometimes out in the woods, oftentimes along the riverbanks. Uh, we're finding the camps and going out and providing the resources that we could. Uh, I got started on the team um, I came from our community engagement unit or our community policing unit, which was primarily a strict enforcement. And I knew many of the homeless uh, people that were out there, mostly because I had written them tickets and arrested them 
countless times over and over and over again. And we, we saw there was almost a backlash from residents and business owners and the neighborhood organizations because if I responded to Borkovich Widget's house uh, or factory and you called and said, uh, Officer Leonard, there, there's a homeless guy out back and he's rifling through my dumpster and he's peeing in my back lot and I don't want him here. And I would get there the first time and I would warn him. And then the following day, I get a text or a call from you and you say, hey, this same guy is back and same thing. He's peeing in my back lot and he's rifling through my dumpster and I want him gone. That second time, I'd probably give him another talking to, maybe write him a ticket. Well, the third and fourth times that you're calling me, I'm taking this guy to jail. And I take him to jail and it's a trespassing charge. It's, you know, it's a low bond. It's not a significant crime. And then he bonds out and he goes right back to Borkovich Widgets. And then you call me again and say, uh, Officer Leonard, what in the heck's going on here? This guy just came, you know, I've called you five or six times. You just took this guy to jail and he's right back here. And then I would respond back and I'd either write this guy a ticket or I'd take him to jail again and wash, rinse, repeat the following day or two. Guess what? Same guy is in the back lot of Borkovich widgets. And here I am again. And it gets to the point where you just stop calling yeah. and, and your frustration as a business owner is almost projected onto the police because yeah. you think, why, why am I wasting my time? Yep. Why am I calling you when nothing, nothing is getting resolved? Yeah. And then you know, from a police perspective, um, when you're doing that, you're not answering more serious crime or possibly preventing crime. Correct. And as a police administrator, you know, one of the things that annoys you most are repeat calls. You know, why is this problem not getting resolved? Absolutely. What are you doing or what are you not doing uh, that is, is causing us to continue to come back to the same location for the same reason for the same person? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you'll agree with me when I say historically, you know, police are very parochial. Hey, this is the way we do things. Right. We got it. I'm in control. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point in time, uh, Chrissy, uh, I think we started to look at things a little differently and say, you know, it's not that we, the police are doing anything wrong, but we, the police, we're not making a difference. The business owner's mad. I'm not out preventing crime or, or answering other calls or, or whatever. And uh, tell us about the evolution. Well, Bruce, real quick, let me finish sure. how I got into the unit. Sure. Sorry. I had done that for years <clears throat> and I realized I'm spinning my wheels. And as were the other officers in my unit, we were not making a difference. We were, Resolving the issue very, very short term, mm -hmm. but it was anecdotal. I yep. mean, it was not, it was not solving the problem. So nope. when that opportunity presented itself, I kind of thought maybe it's time for me to take a different approach to this. And maybe there's something else we could be doing to prevent the same guy from going to the back lot of Borkovich widgets. Yeah. And knowing you, like I do, this was a little bit of a, a challenge. It Th was. This was thrown down a gauntlet. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. And I've got to try something different. You're not the type of person to say, this isn't working. I'm just going to go do something else. No. And, and that, that's, that's, you know, you're, you're type A and that's, you know, that's, that's why we need you so much. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's my observation knowing you since 1998. What is the, the main makeup of, of why they keep, is it mental health or is it, they just don't learn? They don't care. What is, is there no consequences or like, Chris, that's a great question. I'll, I'll defer to Chrissy for the clinical side of that. But from a law enforcement perspective, uh, one, they, they don't care. Um, the penalties are negligible. Um, the fines and costs, they're simply not going to pay them. Um, it's more of an inconvenience for them 
uh, they'll get arrested. They know these are these are these are not inherently dangerous crimes. They're getting low bond or no bond at all. They're getting fast tracked and they're getting released within a few hours. Um, in a in a department the size of of Grand Rapids and a in a county the size of Kent County, they don't the sheriff's department they don't want to house uh, inmates that are low level offenders any more than those offenders want to be there. And if the sheriff's department has the opportunity to release them to create bed space for more violent offenders, yeah. the sheriff's department is going to do that. And that's certainly not a knock against them. I mean, it's it's a sheer numbers position. You know, they they just can't take every single nuisance crime violator and house them for a month. It's just not possible. Absolutely. So Chrissy, enter the world of our social workers. Um, how did this thing start? Was there a person who, who started this or tell me how this thing happened? Because yeah. again, uh, uh, you know, police are very parochial. But we got real this. quick. Let's remind yeah. everybody what, what this is in case they're just tuning in. Chrissy's going to describe it. I didn't, I'd butcher it. So Chrissy's yeah. going to talk about <laughs> yes, the team. Yes, I will. Yes, I will she's, talk about. She's going to talk about the team my pro, uh, yes, that, that they put together. The program. Um, so in July of 2022, myself and at that time, Officer Smith, we had started a pilot program between Grand Rapids Police Department and Network 180 um, to address the significant amount of mental health and substance use calls within the Grand Rapids jurisdiction. So historically, there's, you know, I'm not sure how many calls are mental health or substance re- use related, probably quite a fair amount. And officers are spending a lot of time on these calls and they don't necessarily know the system or what services to offer. And so this program kind of came about to address these calls. And what it does is it pairs myself with a GRPD officer. We are in the car you know, for an entire shift. And what we do is we go to any call that has any sort of mental health or substance use component. And the goal is to try to come up with a solution, you know, to whatever the call may be. It could be a domestic call. It could be a welfare check. It could be a trespassing call, a VCSA call, suicide threat, suicide attempt. And so we're able to come in, the officers can clear the scene, make sure that everything is safe. Mm-hmm. And then I can come in kind of as that supporting cast to determine what is the next step in terms of mental health or substance use. Um, what I have learned is all these officers are really great at de-escalating. Mm-hmm. That's kind of their primary mm-hmm. job. Yeah. You guys come in, you de-escalate a situation then I can come in with my mental health and substance use background and say, okay, let's come up with a plan. We can take you to community mental health. We can take you to your case manager. Um, We can take you to the sobering center. So we can come up with alternative options for these individuals. Tony's the emergency room doctor and you're the surgeon. Yes. Tony gets there and stops the bleeding and makes sure there's an open airway. (laughs) Yes. And then you come in and become surgical based on your training. Yes. You mentioned Network 180, and what is that, and then what is the name of this program? Yeah, so Network 180 is essentially Kent County Community Mental Health. Every county has their own CMH, and then Network 180 is for for Kent Kent County. County. We call the program, it's basically just the GRPD co-response program. It's still kind of in that pilot stage. Ah. Um, I think we're kind of treading to changing it to core, 
but currently we call it co-response. Did did you guys take this program from another department or is this you guys' own creating or is there other places doing the same thing? A or? lot of other jurisdictions are doing it. Everybody does it a little bit differently. So, you know, some of them, the social worker will dispatch separately. We kind of felt that it needs to be a partnership between the social worker and the officer. And so the officer is driving to the scene. I'm able to look up the individual, determine before we even get there, these are what our options are going to be so we can be discussing the case while we're on our way there. And, and this is different from, the. I mean, I've seen on, online uh, this idea of community policing that, that there's some officers, at least the popular one down in Arkansas, I think. I think his name is uh, Tony or, or something as well. And he's all about this community police. It looks good, but this is different than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This, okay. this, this is very different. Community policing is, has been a buzzword for what good cops have done for 100 years. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah this, this is a little different. Uh, so one at a time, Chrissy, let's start with you. Do you have some specialized training then for this particular unit? I know you're a trained, you have a master's degree in social mm-hmm. work. But are there, is there a specialized school or training for this particular unit? Unfortunately, it, there is not, okay. simply because this is just kind of a new thing. Historically, social workers one way, police yeah. one way. Yeah, and very true. Historically, the two have not worked together. They have kind of worked against each other in some ways. Very true. And so when I was approached about this job um, in 2022, I felt like, GRPD is reaching out. They're looking for somebody to help them on these calls. And I felt like I want to be part of that change. And at the end of the day, we're still working with the same individuals. Absolutely. Now I'm just kind of on the streets supporting, you know, supporting the officers while they're out there and trying to get these people, you know, the services and the treatment that we need, but also prevent uses of force, prevent people from going to jail um, coming up with solutions, reducing call volume, reducing that recidivism rate. Absolutely. You're essentially right there on the front lines rather than it, the sidelines that it typically yes. is. Yes. A- absolutely. And I have to wear a bulletproof vest. Oh, I was just going to ask yeah. that. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Sure. So, and I'll chime in and say, yeah. you know, contrary to what we see on TV or in movies, I mean, this is, it's not glitzy and glamorous. I mean, oh, it's, it's not. No. We don't, you know, Chrissy is not going to be in a situation where she is in any type of danger. Right. She's not going to be a, she's not a hostage rescue person. Uh, She's not, you know, talking somebody out of throwing a handgun down. Chrissy would never be, or any of, any of the social workers would never be put in a position where her safety is compromised. Mm -hmm. And when I say it's not glamor and glitz, if the police are called, it's because you're dealing with someone who is highly symptomatic. Mm -hmm. They are having an atrocious day. Absolutely. They're being disruptive. They are threatening self-harm. The family has called and said, you know, they're, they're, you know, inconsolable, they're out of control, they're breaking things, they're threatening to harm themselves. Once the police get there, we realize that it's a mostly, you know, it's a stable environment. Mm -hmm. Chrissy will come in and, I mean, we're talking about, you know, there are tears shed and, you know, people are, you know, that it's one of their worst days. Absolutely. You know, I've talked with people about this before, even in public forums. And back in, Chrissy, I'm going to butcher the dates, but I think in the 70s when the concept of mainstreaming came in, very well-intentioned to take people who are being institutionalized by the state and um, and get them out and try and get them into the world and a chance at a, at a real life. And I think it was very well-intentioned. 
the result, the net result in many cases was we, we took people who had serious mental health problems and, and some addiction problems back then, but primarily mental health problems, took them out of a safe environment, very restricted, but a safe environment, put them on the street so they could be quote unquote mainstreamed. And then sometime between that day and 10 years later, on the worst day of their life, the very worst day of their life, when they have their total meltdown, who gets called? It's a cop. Mm-hmm. It's not a politician. Back then, it wasn't a social worker because they weren't responding to the street. It wasn't anyone else. It was a police officer. And so police officers back then with very minimal training with mental health, people with mental health issues and addiction issues, show up to someone who's having the worst day of their life. And in a split second, those cops had to make decisions about their own safety, the safety of the public, and the safety of the, the, the disturbed person. And sometimes uh, that escalated the use of force and sometimes deadly force. And then, of course, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. The, the politicians and the attorneys have six, eight, 12 months or two years to critique what the officer did when they were dealing with someone on the very worst day of their life. How's that, Tony? Is that pretty close? Very accurate. And the reality of it is, <clears throat> excuse me, the people that were released as they're dealing with law enforcement they're put right back into a restrictive environment. It's just instead of a hospital dealing with having nurses and doctors and social workers around them, they're jail, they're jail bailiffs. You know, they were just taken into custody. And that was honestly the only solution we had at that. And for a very long time. And I think it's, I I think progressive uh, police administrators and city managers and politicians are realizing that people that are mentally ill, people that are homeless, Jail is not the best option for them. It's yeah. not. Some people, they, yeah, they, they should go to jail. You know, they're well aware of their actions. Yep. They understand the consequences. Yep. They need to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. But uh, someone who's mentally ill and yeah. is symptomatic because of it, jail is not the right place for them. Absolutely. It's just going to perpetuate the issue. Where it would be the correct place. Uh, out, in out the care of somebody like okay. the, with the credentials of Chrissy or at any one of the number of mental health institutions okay. in Kent mm-hmm. County. But sometimes yeah. it's going back home. Yeah. And oftentimes it's a matter of dealing with the, and again, I, do, I don't want to speak for the clinical side of it, but I saw this a number of times where it was just a matter of just tweaking the medication just a little bit, whether it's taking it earlier in the day, taking a little bit more of it, making sure you're properly hydrated while taking it. It would not take much for someone to get thrown off on, on when they're, when they're supposed to be dosing their, their medication and th- their behavior could change quickly. If, if, if jail's not the right option, and then the the institutions are who pays for those institutions? If especially if they're homeless, they they don't have health care most likely, or if they do, it's mm-hmm. who pays for that? Yeah, so we can typically um, like Medicaid funds, general fund dollars. Uh-huh. So a lot of individuals were able to help assist them and get them on insurance, so they can get some type of health care. Typically Medicaid. Um, and we make sure that they can get the treatment that they need. So even if they have no insurance, community mental health is there to make sure that they get what they need and they wouldn't get billed. When they're dealing with community men- mental health, here's what doesn't happen. <clears throat> we're sorry. We're no, we know you're having the worst day of your life, but we saw that you don't have insurance, so we don't have a place right. for well, you. Right, well, yeah. And, and, and In hospitals, it, it, if you don't have insurance, you, they will still, they have to take care of you. Now, they might not go to all the extents, yeah. but, right. but yeah, they're, yeah. 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 And that's why CMH is a common awesome. misconception that yep. most people think. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Tony, did, so did you get some specialized uh, training for this? You know, I did not. I think I was, I was a good match for this just because I had so much experience uh, with mm-hmm. the homeless population, specifically on the west side of Grand Rapids, where I was a community officer for so many years. I literally dealt with these, yeah. these men and women yeah. on virtually a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, several of them, I, I knew their full names. Yeah. I knew their yeah. birthdays. Yeah. Uh, I could, I could see a silhouette of them in a, in a security video and tell you, yep, that's so-and-so without so, a doubt. So when you say the West side of Grand Rapids, cause some people don't really go down to Grand Rapids from here all the time. What, what is the boundaries would you call West side of Grand so Rapids? Grand Rapids has five service districts. I've, uh, my expertise or my time as a community officer was on the west side. So that's basically everything west of the Grand River. Okay. Okay. Yep. Makes sense. So yep. if you're coming I down, assume from, that, if but you're I coming down from Big Rapids, mm-hmm. pretty much when you hit Ann Street, if you look to the right, that was my area. I see. So, Tony, what what made you decide to work with the homeless? Was it what I said earlier? You Was it kind of a personal Tony Leonard challenge? That was What I've been doing isn't working. There's got to be something better. There's got to be a different way of doing this. There has to be. Because this is not working. I mean, I was, it was the epitome of wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. It was, it was cyclical. And I'm frankly, I was, I was done doing it. Yeah. Because it it was incredibly frustrating dealing with the same people at the same addresses for the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Chrissy, did you have any of those aha moments when you, you paired up? And maybe dealt with some folks on a daily basis that you don't typically deal with. So maybe uh, an increase in severity or were, were there any of those shocking moments for you or were you pretty much accustomed to? I feel like I was pretty much accustomed okay. to it. Just having worked in community mental health for so long, a lot of these people I actually knew. And it was kind of nice to be able to meet them on the streets because I would say, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember right. you from, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. And so I felt like I already had an established rapport with some of these individuals. Um, So none of it's really been all too shocking for me. I kind of thrive on the chaos and um, I enjoy doing it. You're an action junkie a little bit. A a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's good. So this is going to really change channels. Um, When you got into this, Mm -hmm. I had to once in a while, had to break your heart dealing with certain individuals, maybe they reminded you of a family member or it hit home for a personal reason, or you had a certain tug. That's, that's gotta be tough. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of this job too is kind of meeting the individual where they're at. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Tony can speak to that too. Like there are some individuals who have struggled with alcohol addiction and they're chronically homeless and, you know, the services are available, but they're just not ready yet. And there are concerns like, you know, if they're sleeping outside and it's really cold, are they going to be somebody that we're going to find, you know, in a bad way? And so sometimes it does break your heart, especially when you see individuals that are in their mid to late twenties and they're struggling with severe alcoholism. And you think about the trajectory of what their life could look like if they don't decide to get treatment. And so some of that stuff is really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. and calls with kids are always kind of tough yeah. too. And, and in both your professions, you do have to, uh, you know, develop a, a thick skin. Mm-hmm. However, we're still humans. I remember uh, just briefly here, uh, we, we did a meth house one day. We raided a, actually two meth houses, one across the street from each other. And I was at this particular one, and there was a young girl there, and uh, real meek and real polite and spoke, a, a hardcore meth addict, but spoke intelligently. And... Um, 
Uh, so it got to the, I mean, I had to put handcuffs on her or serving search warrant. She probably weighed 80 pounds. Yeah. She was just tiny. And uh, <clears throat> at a certain point, I said, I have to get your ID. You know, she's the farthest thing from a threat to me. Anyway, she, well, my wallet's in my pocket. So I grabbed it and then I said, uh, you know, is it okay if I get your driver's license? You know, yep, it's in there. And I went to pull out her driver's license and she said, I used to be really pretty. Oh, talk about a gut punch. And and I've got her. She knew I was a male. She was a female and she was self-conscious. And she knew I was going to see her driver's license picture, which was before she was a meth addict. Mm-hmm. And and it, it didn't even look like her, but she was so conscious no. of what it had done to her. So, Tony, I'm guessing, knowing you, you've had some heartbreak moments out mm-hmm. dealing in this special unit. A number mm-hmm. of times. Yeah. Tell me uh, about as those. part of the hot team, um, you know, we... We did not, it, we weren't just handing out water bottles and blankets. Uh, we were working actively to get people housing, yep. to get people their ID, to get people health insurance, to get them jobs. And on, we had a, several case studies where we worked and worked. And when I say we, primarily it was the social workers on the team that were getting uh, the community resources to them. And we had several people, we worked and worked and worked, and we finally got them housing. And unfortunately... Once we got them housing, now they're, they have four walls and a roof. However, uh, they don't have any relationships. They have no one visiting. They don't even have basic cable TV. Yep. They're not outside in February, That's which is great. But then the people that we were, you know, we're celebrating and high-fiving that, you know, this, that, you know, Jane Q, uh, homeless person is now housed. I mean, that's a victory. I mean, that's a tally for the good guys. And then we saw Jane Q, homeless lady, out of the, on, on the street. And we would talk to her, Jane, what are you doing here? I just, I just, I missed my friends. I missed my friends. Mm -hmm. And after a while, they just continue going back and then they start spending the night on the street again. And then they end up losing, losing the apartment. So they build like a camaraderie among. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh. All of, it's I didn't even think of that angle. It's 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 about relationships. It's a peer. Absolutely. And when we, when we just, when we have communications with people, um, and they're discussing, you know, the things that are, are preventing them from staying in their apartment or staying in their uh, their condo or w- whatever the you know a town home or a group home. The number one thing they say is, "I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. I'm lonely. I, I'm I'm just there. I have nothing to do." Well, it's it's one of the worst, uh, uh, and I'm I'm sure Chrissy could talk about this uh, far better than I can. But it's one of the worst things for a human to endure is loneliness. Yes. isolation and loneliness it's when yeah. we're, we're designed uh in my mind by god uh to be around people and we're not designed to you know live like an animal alone and mm-hmm. uh chrissy you know can you think of one of those cases i'm going to put you on the spot here that just broke your heart a specific case that just kind of uh, maybe the, the first time i know you know i have a hard heart and i have a <laughs> thick skin my buddy can tell you that but every once in a while I like this little gal that was the meth addict just Mm -hmm. absolutely broke my heart can you think of any of those we actually had um uh, some siblings that were homeless um they you know adult men and they looked out for one another on the streets homeless Um, both of them struggled with mental health issues they both struggled with addiction and you know one morning the brother found the other brother deceased And that was really difficult because they took care of each other. It gave each of them some sort of purpose in life. Like 
looking out for one another. Absolutely. And we were really concerned about the yeah. one brother, yeah. you know, once his other brother passed away, we were worried like, okay, how is he going to handle this? We're worried about him slipping even further yeah, into absolutely. addiction. And again, they looked out for one another. So a lot of times when people are homeless, they're with somebody else yeah. for a level of protection. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to keep an eye on each other, especially for females, a lot of times they have somebody else with them sure. to make sure that they're not taken advantage of or, or something happens to them. Yeah, but. right on. So we're going to uh, take a break and catch our breath and get into segment two. We're going to continue the conversation after these messages from our local sponsors of the Big Rapids Buzz. You are listening to WBZX Big Rapids on B1039. You are listening to WBZX, Big Rapids on B1039. I am Bruce Borkovich. And I'm Chris Long. Hi, Chris. How are you doing this morning? Good. Good. This has uh, been a really neat show so far. And it's, yes. We both discussed at the break the need to bring these two professionals back again. Oh, yes. We're no, I come from a different disposition and different mindset. And uh, I definitely have had a change of heart slightly. It's, on this whole thing. Yep, it, uh, that's, that's good. You're, but I've uh, never had these conversations with experts before. You're so. expanding your world. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's been happening a lot right. in the last <laughs> year. Well, we, have, uh, we have... Quicker and quicker. <laughs> police officer Tony here and social worker Chrissy here to remind everyone, and we're talking about um, uh, mental health, addiction, and homelessness. And in particular, we're talking about a special unit that the Grand Rapids Police Department has where they have partnered with social work professionals. And uh, we're going to continue that. Chrissy, so um, tell me what a typical shift looks like, okay? It's a, you know, uh, are, are there a typical a time where you're typically working, I'm guessing, in the evenings? It, tell me about what what's a typical shift. Yeah. So, first of all, there is no typical shift because <laughs> um, every day is so different, but typically... Um, I'm paired with any CIT trained officer and we start the shift off in the morning, usually about seven or eight. We go over if there's any mental health pickup orders, if any of that needs to be done for the day, if there's any referrals or anything critical or kind of looming from the night before. And then, um, whoever I'm partnered with will look at the CAD and determine, you know, what do we got to hit? Is there any trespassing calls, welfare checks, suicide threats? Um, today, for instance, we went to a couple suicide threats, somebody who had attempted suicide, ingested medication and drank, you know, an excessive amount of alcohol. We did a welfare check on somebody who was very paranoid. We followed up on a mental health pickup order. We collaborated with St. Mary's Hospital. Um so, yeah, I mean, a typical day is non-typical. Non-typical. Yeah. Chrissy, could you touch on CIT? CIT. CIT is crisis intervention training for officers, and it's a 40-hour-a-week or 40-hour training that they do, which gives them a little bit more training in working with mental health and substance use. So they do role-playing, scenario training, go over different mental health diagnoses that are more common that they're going to see on the street and then talking about resources within the community. So yeah. these officers kind of have a little bit more specialized training in terms of working with mental health and substance use. Yeah. 
I'm a simple guy, and I tend to uh, break things into simple analogies. And one of the things I learned over many years in law enforcement was that dealing with people in a mental health crisis and sometimes an addiction crisis, um, it's like you're showing up to a basketball game and someone has inflated that basketball to the maximum. I mean, you dribble it, it'll bounce right out of the ceiling. And the mistake I made oftentimes as law enforcement officers, what would I do? I'd come up, put more air in that ball. Mm -hmm. I'd start putting pressure on them and um, thinking that, okay, you know, my job is to come and take control of this situation. This is how I do it. And it was just like putting more air in there and that ball's either going to bounce out of the gym or it's going to explode. Yeah. And so uh, that, that, that's sometimes you learn by hard knocks because back in the day we didn't have the training. There was mm-hmm. just no, no uh, awareness. So, yeah. Tony, a typical day from your perspective. So typical day on the homeless outreach team. Uh, as I had said, there were firefighters and also social workers and um, recovery coaches. So we, we knew where all the hotspots were. Um, we knew where the downtown areas were. We knew which bridges and viaducts to check. We knew along the, um, we call it the Butterworth Landfill, which is an old an, an area with along Kent Trails, along the Grand River. Um, we were on first name basis with a lot of these folks. And many of them, we, I mean, we would have months long interactions with them and only know them by their, by their moniker, by their street name. And that was something that we did um, on purpose because it was difficult being in uniform. Now we were in a suppressed uniform. Mm-hmm. I was not in the, the typical like type A full regalia, yep. uh, the class A uniform. I was in a suppressed uniform, so a polo shirt and and khakis. Still had my gun belt on me mm-hmm. and still had body armor. But mm-hmm. you know, it's not your it, it's not what you would typically yeah. see, and mm-hmm. not your average police officer mm-hmm. directing traffic or making traffic stops. Yep. Uh, I think that softened things up a little bit. Um, but it was difficult because a lot of the a lot of the people that we were dealing with, they have had ne- negative interactions yeah. with law enforcement. Um, they're accustomed to being hassled and told to pack up their stuff and leave. You're on private property or you're on public property. You can't be here. And they 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 were not having good quality, resourceful type interactions with the police. So as a as a law enforcement officer, when I'm showing up with a firefighter and with a mental health worker. It was difficult to establish a rapport and maintain trust with them. And part of the things that we did with that is I would walk up and say, hey, you know, my name is Officer Tony. Um, what do you want me to call you? And a lot of people would say, you can call me Arkansas. You can call me uh, Jimmy the Man. You can call me whatever. Yep. And Straight we, names. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> straight monikers. And that was a step toward that trust. And it got to the point where, I would save their phone numbers in my phone as Arkansas or Jimmy the man. Uh, just, I knew who they were and I knew right where to find them, but I had no idea what their names were because that my goal out there on a daily basis was not to find out if they had warrants, not to find out what they'd been done the night before. My job was to, what can I do to make your day better today? What can I do to move forward to get you housing? If you want housing, there are a lot of homeless folks. They don't want housing. They're perfectly content living the way that they're living. But but what's your immediate need? Might be a sandwich. It yeah. might be a bottle of water. Yep, yep. We uh, we did a lot of uh, we uh, interacted with and liaisoned with street medicine with MSU Street Medicine. Um, so we would work with them, uh, have them come out. Uh, a lot of foot issues, a lot of infection issues. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you or I uh, get a scrape on our foot or get a, a sliver on on the bottom of our foot, that's not a big deal. We have tweezers. We mm-hmm. have uh, antiseptic. Rubbing alcohol, we have, oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have Neosporin. We yeah. can handle that. Mm-hmm. It might be a little irritating for a day or two, but we can handle that. For a homeless person, that could turn into a full-fledged sure. uh, infection. That could yeah. turn into an amputation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not living in a in a clean, sterile environment. They're probably not bathing on a daily basis, and they don't have access to just basic first aid. Yeah. What What tips, because you mentioned it about the, them being harassed or told to leave the property, what tips or advice would you give our listeners to uh, further interactions that they might have with the homeless uh, population, so especially in Grand Rapids can, or even around here? Can you clarify here? a little bit, like if... If, do we if ignore someone, them? If a panhandler is approaching them yeah. and asking for money, what do you do? Or if you're saying, Both. I'm seeing somebody under a tarp, under uh, an overpass. Both. Weather permitted or uh, permitting, I would say if you have legitimate concerns about the climate, because it's February and it's four degrees outside and it's a minus 10 wind chill, I think you should, it, that's, it's appropriate to call. To say, can I have somebody check on this or person? I mean, this check, is still a yeah. human. Nine one one or non emergency? Non emergency. Okay. I would say non emergency on that. Uh, we have all encountered, myself included, uh, the aggressive panhandlers. Yeah. It is absolutely an issue, and I will tell you, I, I would encourage personally. I would encourage, do not give them cash. Do not give them. Why, cash. Tony? I know the answer, but tell everyone why. <laughs> I mean, typically, I, I think I know the answer and, too. And, and maybe, <laughs> well, uh, typically, my experience has been is that. Not every time, but more often than not, it is to feed an addiction. Correct. They're going to buy alcohol or drugs right. with it. I've, I've seen it not, happen. <laughs> I'm not qualified to give that answer. I what understand. I am qualified to give is the answer that I've heard from people that I consider subject matter experts on homelessness. I, I've had the opportunity to work with people who have literally dedicated their lives to helping the homeless. And they will be the first ones to tell you, do not give yeah. any cash. Yep. Do not give any yep. currency. If you feel compelled to give... Give them a bottle of water. Yes. If you feel compelled to do something, run through McDonald's yeah. and grab them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, or your leftover food while you're leaving and walking back to your food. car. Yeah. Or if you have a granola bar left yeah. over in your car. I, I don't know if if this is right or not. Chrissy can weigh in. But when I get people approaching me, listen, I'm a I'm a pretty strong Christian. And I, there's a, a parable about the poor, you know, who shows up begging and it's Jesus. <laughs> and there are other references in the Bible about uh about uh, turning people away in need when, in fact, they could be an angel. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very spiritual for me. So I have a real issue with just turning away from people. So what I'll typically do to avoid the money thing, and I'll say, what do you like to eat and drink? And the last time I did it, the guy wanted a iced tea and a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. And I said, I'll be right back. Stay right here. And I went and got him. Now, is that going to change his life? No. And I'm not saying he was even hungry, but I just asked him, what do you want? <laughs> like right now, a little bit of instant gratification, it's not going to hurt you. But Chris, Chris, is that? I'm sorry, Chris, to further answer your question, oh, when, when someone is aggressive, I would say make direct eye contact and say, sir or ma'am, I'm not going to help you today. And then you continue on. Okay. How would you, how would you know or tips for the listeners uh, to determine if someone's actually in need versus a scammer because I've been down to Detroit. We used to go down there all the time every weekend Great question. for games and stuff. And if you're seeing somebody with a child, I would say that that should prompt a 911 call. If someone 
it, whether they you think that they're using that child as like a tool or a yeah. mechanism to get more money, yeah, that needs to then then CPS and people like Christy need to get involved in that because that's not acceptable. Um, I, I'm very comfortable saying if someone is approaching you and asking for money, um, there's a very good chance that that money is going to be used to feed a substance abuse of some type. It might be alcohol, it might be tobacco, it might be cocaine or heroin. Um, there are Specifically for Grand Rapids, there are plenty of resources available for yeah. food and hydration, and there's really not an excuse to be hungry in Grand Rapids. Yeah, mm. Big Rapids, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the services out there, but a lot of churches offer food banks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. How, 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 like, you being an officer, would you be able to tell the difference between the scammer who's taking advantage of the emotional part of that Versus the person actually in need. Are you able to determine that? In Grand Rapids, I can because what I know the, many of them. Yeah. And okay. oftentimes they will hold the sign up to say, I'm a combat wounded veteran. Please help. And that's and a scam? One of the first times that I've encountered these guys, my first question, what's the date of your DD-214? Yeah. And they'll just that's stare at question. And I, I learned this many, yeah. years, many <laughs> years ago uh, from a, a salty old veteran that when you're dealing with someone... Yep who contends that they were in the military, you ask the very first question you ask them, what is the date of your DD-214? And for the listeners out there who have served in the military, they know, they know that exactly is, that's the date of your discharge, <laughs> that you're no longer basically property of the federal government. Yeah. And this salty old veteran in Mount Pleasant, Larry Davis, oh, yeah. told me, it doesn't matter how drunk you are. It doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how symptomatic you are. It doesn't matter. Any what any person who served in the armed forces will be able to tell you the day of their two DD two fourteen. I like yours Instantly. better than mine. I used to ask just real quick. Oh, what was your MOS? That's your military occupation yeah. specialty, and and then you get that uh, video stare, that blank look, and then mm-hmm. it was like, I, then I'd look at him like I'd look at my daughter when she was seven. You know, give the dad look, and uh, so. Um, well, what about the ones that have the animals with them? Like uh, that—that's when I get sad. Is well, that, that makes me sound that bad. Doesn't sound very good, <laughs> that Chris. doesn't sound good. <laughs> Didn't mean it that way. Chris, but I you mean... have that button that beats things out, right? Can you push it once? Just push it. There you go. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> what about the ones with the dogs? So. As part of the homeless outreach team, we also connected with um, people that specialized in helping dogs and cats that are homeless. Yeah. Uh, they were a tremendous resource for us. Uh, again, this is Grand Rapids specific, but those agencies in Grand Rapids would take your pet if you were going into ah, uh, some type of a great. substance abuse or that's something, and they would service. house the pet. Oftentimes, and, and I can have Chrissy speak more to this, that pet is the one last shred of, of a lifeline that they have. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Having they're, they're able to keep themselves somewhat stabilized because they know they have to care for the animal. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's a flip side of that. Animals are not allowed. The pets are not allowed into any of the, the shelters. shelters. Yeah. Unless oh. you can get the dogs or the cat sanctioned as a service animal, mm-hmm. which is incredibly difficult. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm not aware of any animals yeah that have been certified uh, in Grand Rapids as uh, that this is a, a mental health or a therapy dog or yeah. an, an iguana that helps keep me pacified. Some Many people will identify that as such, but it's not sanctioned or certified yeah. by yeah. some type of a governing board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chrissy, can you yeah. add to that? Yeah. I am not familiar with 
anybody that's actually had one put as a service animal. Um, but yeah, a lot of times these people will feel like their pets are their children. Yeah. And so they're going to do everything that they can sure. to keep them with them. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the ultimate irony. The, the one thing that is keeping them afloat is mm-hmm. also the one thing that is preventing them from moving forward yeah. and, and yeah. getting resources. Yeah. 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 Chrissy, uh, how does it affect you personally to deal with the sadness and the, and the despair that many people are experiencing? I know we're all trained mm-hmm. to have thick skins and, uh, and, and disassociate, but we're human beings. Uh, I have a, a suspicion that you got into social work, not for the money because of, <laughs> that is of, correct. of your compassion and your heart. And uh, t- tell me, because sometimes uh, we know this in police work, you can, brush all this off and it's no problem and I'm mm-hmm. tough and I, sure, I've, I've had people yeah. die in my arms. I've had children die in front of me and you just pass it off and then it can sneak up and get you years later or wh- however. H- how does, is it affected you personally? Um, You know, I think you really can't let it affect you because I don't want it to affect the ability to do my job. Yeah. And so I just have healthy ways of coping and those are things like a healthy, active lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, exercise, exercise. Yeah. running is a huge yeah. thing for me, socializing. And then I just also have great um, peers mm-hmm. and the officers that I work with. A lot of times we'll kind of debrief yeah. after these calls, like, yeah. hey, that was a really tough call yeah. or holy crap, like, I can't believe we just saw that, yeah. you know, there's some yep. things and then we'll kind of debrief it together, yeah. process it and then you're kind of onto the yeah. next call. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it is just having those healthy coping yeah. mechanisms and then having a great, you know, GRPD does have that peer support team. And a yeah. lot of the officers are very open to talking about kind of yeah. emotions and mm-hmm. feelings and, and dealing with that stuff. You know, there's nothing like, you know, the professionals are great and uh, you know, uh, but there's nothing like uh, discussing it with a peer. Mm-hmm. And in, in private, uh, whether it's over a you know a glass of wine or a beer or a glass of water or a mm-hmm. meal or anything else, uh, the professionals are great and they do a great job. But there's nothing you know really like uh, discussing it in front of a peer. Sure, or just going car to car and processing a call and like, hey, what could we have done? Or that was a really difficult call, yeah. and just kind of looking out for one another. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So this is going to be for both of you. Chrissy, let's stick with you. Um, Why do you think addiction and mental health problems, homelessness, and so many of those things are so intertwined, is so prevalent? Two-part question. It's so prevalent right now. And in a perfect world, you're you're king, you're queen. Um, Haven't I I guess it what any solutions might be? So why are these things so prevalent? Yeah. Do you have any theories on solutions? Yeah. So why are they so prevalent? I think people are more willing to talk about it now. I think it's not, there's not as much stigma not as much taboo. More people are willing to say like, Hey, I'm really struggling. They're not isolative about it. And there's so many more resources available and more education about what the symptoms are, where you know, anxiety, for instance, people are thinking, oh, I'm having a heart attack. And it's like, no, you're having a panic attack. Oh, yeah. So there's just a lot more education, resources. People are more comfortable talking about it. Um, Social media has helped in some ways in terms of like educating people on what these symptoms are and, and what they could be. 
um, in terms of solutions. Oh, here it is. <laughs> I'm not supposed to bang on the table, but this is a drum roll. Actually, I think I have a drum roll yeah, around like, here. Uh, okay, before you answer this, Chris. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Okay, well, Chrissy, talk to us. <laughs> I don't have a solution. Right. Um, there, it, it, there really is no one-size-fits-all solution, and you really have to be individualized when you're working with a person because mental health is so complex, and it could be compounded over years. It could be a brief episode. It could be mixed with trauma. It could be mixed with addiction. It could be mixed with legal issues. I mean, it's so difficult to really give a one-size-fits-all answer. And so it's kind of nice with this job because we can take each call, dissect it, and then get that one person the services that and, they and that's, need. That's what you're doing. It's the starfish. Remember the old thing about yes. walk along the shore? There's a million starfish that washed up on shore and a guy slowly reaching down and tossing one out and some mm-hmm. guy comes up. Well, that is so stupid. Do you think that's really going to make a difference? And as the guy tosses one, he says, it makes a difference to this one. Yeah. <laughs> How's that oh, for wow. sappy, yeah. uh, sappy story? Well, Are you crying a little bit? About, do you need <laughs> oh, a little Oh, don't next? start crying. Tony's I don't do well do you, with Tony, when do you people need a hug? start crying. Not yet. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you a hug when okay. the show's done. I'll do so, some therapy on the way home today. <laughs> you don't have enough time, Chrissy. Are you actually tearing up? No. Oh, gosh. I was going to say, please don't. I don't do well with that. I've known him longer than you, and yeah. I know you're very bright, very well trained, but you don't have the time or the expertise to do therapy with this. That's a fair assessment. Yeah, Tony, how about that question for you? Two part. Um, yeah. Why do you think? Uh, because I have a, I have a theory that's a tiny piece of this, mm-hmm. and you two might disagree with it. But why do you think uh, addiction, mental health problems, homelessness um, is so prevalent? Num- number one, and you're king. Um, any ideas on how to fix it? If I'm king for a day, everybody gets an ID. And if you lose your ID, you get a free ID. Everything starts with a picture license or a picture ID, your photo and your name on it. Everything starts there. You're talking about every per, not people that are in crisis, every single human, every single human being, you get a picture ID, not, not for government tracking, no conspiracy there. Give them an ID and do not make them jump through so many hoops. Every, and Chrissy can attest to this. Everything, everything as far as getting resources, Begins with Birthday. having a photo ID, mm-hmm. proving who you are, it's true. proving what your birthday is. It, it everything starts there. My theory, I mean, this is a layman, you know, I I I don't oh, have the expertise on. on this, but <clears throat> they're compounding problems. Right. You know, it's you have someone that is they're they're exhibiting signs of mental health, and so they maybe start smoking marijuana. Certainly not suggesting that it's a gateway drug, just saying that's a coping mechanism it is. when they're younger. Oh, I, you should have heard my show a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I just hammered marijuana. Okay. So, all right. A different, they, they start, they, they try some of, you know, granddad's yeah. bourbon Yeah. and that made, they feel better. You know, they, they don't hear voices. They yeah. don't feel obsolete. They don't feel isolated. Um, How do they go from that to meth and cocaine and crack? Great question, Chris, but how does the roofer go from being gamefully employed and loving his family, then he falls off a roof and, and breaks his back and he's taking Vicodin and he's his doctor prescribed Vicodin yeah. and he gets a refill and he takes Vicodin and he gets a refill and he takes Vicodin. And then one day the doctor just says, you don't get any more Vicodin. And now you've got this roofer who he can't get out of bed. He can't pick up his kids. He can't change a diaper. He's li- literally, he's addicted. Life, he is addicted mm-hmm. to Vicodin. To Vicodin. But like, so they like, they go, go and contact somebody and it's like, 
can you give me something that's similar? Well, the, it's an opiate. Yeah. I know, but like uh, people, I, I just yeah. You can start. You know, you're at a friend's house. You're rifling through the the cabinet, the medicine cabinet, and then it just you can't uh, find that. Oddly enough, it's easier to find heroin than it is sometimes to find pills and a little bit cheaper. So people will start. You know, the addiction causes you to do things that you never thought you would yeah. ever find yourself doing. Yeah. Is, is, is there the any patterns that you've seen with who does what drugs? Is there any personality, Not introvert, really. extrovert, any really. past? It's, There's no it, pattern. It's, it's just the, it's That's the compounding the problem. It's mm-hmm. the, they, you know, the, we have mild signs of mental health and, and mild symptoms and then they start coping with a substance yeah. or they would withdraw from their family. They stop going to church. They break up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. They maybe they're playing more video games. Maybe they're fishing too much. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> using that as a, as a funny example. But and the next thing you know, then they get they get a traffic ticket or they get picked up for trespassing. And now they've got a court appearance and now they can't go to work because they lose their job because they put on probation. And it's just it's one problem after another yeah. that compounds. Very true. The the quick story I told about the young lady addicted to meth, mm-hmm. I had a great conversation with her, and, and uh, Chris, this might help answer your question. She said she had a wonderful family. She had a wonderful, she had a sister. She had a great childhood. She had everything she needed. She had wonderful, loving parents. She had not one excuse or not one blame on how it happened. Now, I can tell you meth can be instantly addictive for some people, first time. It can be addictive. Statistically, only 2% of the people ever addicted to meth can overcome the addiction in their lifetime. It's that powerful of a drug. But So you could say, okay, a meth addict you know, had a bad family, had a sexually abused, physically abused, poor, uneducated. You could go, but then you're going to find exceptions to it, which takes you right out of all the theories on how do we fix this stuff. Bruce, we had a we had a homeless male downtown, and I won't use his name, but at one point uh, was <coughs> excuse me wildly successful attorney. Oh. He even argued in front of the Michigan Supreme Court at one point. Wow! Uh, he died on the streets. And and again, you know, every, you you start to as intelligent people, we draw these patterns. You th- I think I got it, and then mm-hmm. you run into the attorney, yeah. or you run into the young girl. Who, you know, I used to be pretty yeah. and had a wonderful family. And, it, and it's like, now where are we? You know, right. so, so Tony and, and, and Chrissy, I want to ask you both this. So um, <clears throat> there are people and, and it's very legitimate. I think it's a legitimate question to say, okay, but I see some of these people, they talk intelligently, um, they walk and they move and they're capable. Why don't the employers are begging for employees, why don't they turn their life around, go get a job, and live a real life? Oh yeah. <coughs> Who wants to start with that, Chrissy? I'll you want to start? start with that All right. One. I want to well, hear that. It. Just again shows how intelligent she is, right? <laughs> because you know someone driven by their ego would say, "Well, I've got this," but no, I'm going to give it to you, Tony. Sure. Well uh-huh. done, Chrissy. <laughs> so, great question, and and one that I mean, I myself have have thought. Go get a job. I mean, I've, I think we've all seen. You know, there are there are Facebook pictures out there of somebody panhandling underneath and maybe called an Arby's sign where, um, you know, the Arby's sign says help wanted. Mm-hmm. First step, go get a job. OK, I don't have an ID. Second step, I go to my job interview and I tell my employer, hey, I, I really want to work. 
but I don't have an ID. Okay. How can I fill out my EID form? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, next step employer says, love to hire you. However, um, I need your address. Well, I don't, I don't have an address. That employer says, okay, we'd, we'd still love to hire you. Here's the uniform you have to wear. Also, just so you understand, uh, we have a, a personal grooming and, 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 and uh, you know, a, a health clause to work here at wherever. Well, I can't shower. My fingernails are dirty. I don't smell the, great, the best. Will, are you going to provide a shower facility for me to shower before my shift? Okay. Well, um, here at, at, at Bruce, Bruce's Wicker Basket Incorporated, we only pay um, through direct deposit. So I need your bank account. Yeah. Well, I don't have a bank account. Yeah. Why don't you have a bank account? I don't have an ID. Why don't you have an ID? Well, I lost my ID because I got really drunk the other night and I got taken to the hospital. The paramedics lost it. Or what, last week I was robbed. Mm -hmm. They took my backpack, all the took my wallet. I don't have a social security card and I don't have a driver's yeah. license. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm trying to get a, a job. I want to work, but I have no ID and I have no social security card proving who I am, what my birthday is. I have, no, I have no ability to cleanse myself, to be presentable for my job. Um, I have no way to launder my uniform, um, so I, I, I don't meet those requirements. You can't pay me because I don't have a bank account, and you, you won't pay me in cash. Um, some, some places have uh, hired the homeless, and what they'll do is they'll pay them on a debit card um, in lieu of direct deposit, but... I can tell you the city of Grand Rapids, I'm required. I, I have to, my paycheck comes direct deposit. Yep. yep. Yeah. You know, that payroll is not an this, option. Sometimes. It's, it's, That's right. Right. This is how we're going yeah. to pay you. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know I sound like, like the bleeding heart here, but the reality of it is there are so many obstacles. It is not just a matter of look at this guy standing there. He could go get a job. Yeah. And the reality of it is that there are, there are mechanisms in place yeah. that that homeless person literally cannot go get a job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tony, the difference How would between, you answer? Oh, the oh. difference between a bleeding heart and a realist is knowledge and education. Right. So if if you're you're kind of ignorant to this situation, it's easy to say, it's that simple. Why don't you get a job? Correct. When you've dealt with it on the street and you mm -hmm. know all of the realities mm -hmm. uh, I know you, you're not a bleeding heart liberal, but you know the realities. You just listed a dozen huge barriers Correct. to mm -hmm answer the question you're not making excuses for these people you're just giving us a bunch of facts right mm -hmm. and that's why i said if i were king for the day everybody gets an id yeah. they get a picture id with their name and their birthday on it yeah. so mm -hmm. they can prove who they are because yeah. you cannot apply for any type of disability yeah, benefits without an id yeah. you cannot get uh you can't apply for your birth certificate without an id yeah. you cannot apply for your social security card without an ID. Yeah. You can't even get a library card most often. Yeah. If mm -hmm. unless yeah. you can can't prove, get a fishing license. Can I get a fishing <laughs> license? Yeah. Without an ID. Heaven forbid yeah. if those conservation officers oh, show up. those guys. Oof. Oh my goodness. Gracious. Liars and thieves. Oh, every one of them. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Did you want me to So in terms of the it, it's easy to look, you know, if you're standing outside looking in, but a lot of times individuals are struggling with addiction and they can't maybe you know, get sober enough to go to a job interview or they don't have anybody to watch their kids or they don't have reliable transportation or they're struggling with mental health issues. I mean, it's, there's so many different variables that could be the reason why somebody isn't yeah. able to actually go yeah. get a job. Yeah. So, and the answer isn't 
you shouldn't have been addicted. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's true. <laughs> Theoretically, yeah. you shouldn't have become addicted. The problem is, and, and, and for professionals like you, is that's what my basketball coach used to say is ancient history. Right yeah. now, we're dealing with these realities. Yeah. Right. And yeah. what we try to do is we try to come up with solutions so to, to the barriers. You know, yeah. okay, you're struggling with addiction because you can't get a job. Or, you know, you can't get a job because yeah. of the addiction. Yeah. Let's work on the addiction or let's yes. work on getting you an ID or yes. what can we do to chisel yeah. away yeah. to help it as Lowering opposed to barriers. just, yes. Yeah. What, what would you say is the percent of homeless that go through the program or in general that that actually turn it around and become fixed or... I, w- I would have no idea. Yeah. Honestly, Just a know. random number based on your experience. No, How would you, no. I, I wouldn't even want to speculate because yeah. I have no idea. That would be really it, Would it be high or low? I, or is it very, very low? It's ever changing, yeah. too. It's ever evolving. You know, sometimes people have housing. But there has been success stories. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Yes. I yeah. would be comfortable saying the younger yes. you are, the younger that person is, the younger they are when there is some type of an intervention from a social worker, yes. from the firefighter, from a police officer where we can get them away from any type of a high risk lifestyle. Yeah. I think the chances of success skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think the longer you are entrenched in living homeless, the more challenging it is to get out of that situation. And I'll be the first one to say, I should have clarified this oftentimes as I, as I rattled off all those reasons why someone could not get a job. Yes. That person has probably made choices to put themselves mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah. But the reality of it is, it is not just as e- it's not easy as just walking into Burger King or Arby's or McDonald's and saying, "Hey, I see a help wanted sign out there. Can can I can I get a job?" It's mm-hmm. it's not that simple. Multifaceted. Absolutely. I I will have to say that I definitely have. Uh, it's definitely changed my uh, mind and opened my mind a lot because uh, I come from the side uh, a very different perspective on things and. Yeah, wow, this has been a great conversation. And I, Bruce, we're going to have to bring it back. Well, I think this has been was, one of the best shows we've had so yeah. far. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping you two uh, will be willing to come up in the sticks here again. Sure. And, uh, and I'm uh, hoping that we can, you know, we can show that law enforcement and social work can work together. Oh, it's huge. You know, and huge. we both have the same goal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're showing that we can that we can do this and we yeah, have yeah. fun. There's good yeah. camaraderie between us. and. Even though Tony didn't necessarily want to talk to me in the beginning. Yeah, he's like that. He wouldn't talk to me for years. <laughs> he wouldn't make any jokes around me or yeah. anything Have in the you beginning. Seen, but you've seen success come from this. 100%. Yeah, yeah I'm wow. very passionate about this program and, and what it's done. Okay. And even just the relationship between wow. you know the two agencies has Absolutely. been fantastic. So I've got to tell you, I needed to get a little info whether we had anything like this locally. So I called our sheriff, Brian Miller, who I have great respect for. Also, Brian is a very good friend and asked, you know, and they currently don't have anything like this, but he has forced me and threatened me to get your contact information. And I'm expecting uh, there's a chief's meeting they have once a month uh, with all the police chiefs here. And and I guessing they are going to be very interested in having you come and speak at the chief's meeting. And knowing Brian, he has a huge heart. Uh, uh, this is going to resonate with Brian, and he's going to look yeah. at partnering with Ferris and the city. And there'll be lunch provided, uh, correct? Oh, there'll be lunch okay. provided. We should, do this again. we should do this again, but with Brian <laughs> we could. on with yeah. these two. We, we could. Uh, but uh, Tony, Chrissy, thank you so yes. much for coming. Thank this you. was our longest show we've ever done. Yes. Jen is going to be... Uh, <laughs> 
throwing she's stuff gonna at be mad. both of us. She's not going to be uh, uh, real happy with oh, us. Oh, well. But besides, <laughs> besides thanking the two of you, we have to thank our sponsors. We have yes. to thank the Pet Boutique, Paris Creek Jewelry. Hi, Corey. Purely Clean Services, the Barrington Firearms Training Center, 911 Restoration, Gilbert's Carpet Plus Color Tile, Benton Baker of Big Rapids, and Sue Bean at Big Rapids Realty. You have been listening to the Big Rapids Buzz at WBZX, Big Rapids on B1039. This is Bruce Borkovich. And Chris Long. Good morning.